0: Hello, my friends, and welcome back for this week's episode of the Practical Parsha podcast. This is Rabbi Shlomo Cohen. I hope you are well. Before we begin today, I'd like to dedicate this episode as a merit, a schus, for the soldiers in Israel, for the hostages who have not been returned to their families, and for the Jews of Israel. Hashem should protect them and watch over them. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Chay and... It's one of the few instances in the Torah where a parsha is named after a person. Sarah was the wife of Avram Avinu, and after coming home from Akedas Yitzchak, the test of the binding of Isaac, Avram Abraham comes home to find his wife Sarah deceased. She has passed away, and the commentaries tell us that the Satan, the Yitzharah showed Sarah a vision of Avram Avinu shechting Yitzchak, or bringing him up as a sacrifice. And from that grief, she passed on and died. Avram is now tasked with burying his dear wife, and he goes out to buy a burial plot for her to the children of Ches. After negotiating with Ephron the Chiti, Avram Avinu, Abraham buys Maoraz HaMachpelah, the cave of Machpela, which is located in Hevron. The parsha continues with Avram, with Abraham tasking his loyal servant Eliezer to find a wife for his son Yitzchak, Isaac. And he tells Eliezer to go to his family in the area of Aram Naharayim, to take a wife for Yitzchak from the daughters of Besuel. The Torah discusses in great deal the journey of Eliezer, how he asks Hashem, he asks God to give him a sign to find the right girl that will be willing to marry Yitzchak and to come back with Eliezer to be his eventual wife. The parsha concludes with Avram Avinu with Abraham remarrying, as well as the death of Avram, and finally concludes with the genealogy of Ishmael. Now, the first idea I wanted to share with you today takes us to the transaction that the Torah describes to us of Avram Avinu of Abraham buying Maorazamach Pela from Ephron the Hittite. Now, many of the laws... Of of Kenyon of ownership are learnt out from this episode in the Torah. How Avram Avinu acquired the field from Ephron, we learn out about you know ownership, how to acquire something. At what point does something become someone's? But what I want to focus on today is really on two traits of Avram Avinu that we see from this story how we dealt with the, the Chittites and specifically Ephron that we can learn from and we can use to be better people in our lives. Now, the story of Avram and the Chittites where he purchases the cave of Machpel is very interesting. When Avram approaches the Chittites, he they tell him, take whatever land you want. You want to bury dead here in our land? Take whatever you want. It's all yours. Pick anything you like and you could bury your wife here. Because Avram Avinu, Abraham, was a very esteemed individual. He was very rich. He was a very esteemed, very honorable person. And they wanted to give honor to him. And Avram refuses. He says, let me speak to somebody. Let me speak to the person in charge to buy the land from you. And he goes to Ephron, the Chiti, who is in charge of the area. And he asks for permission to bury his dead wife, Sarah. And at first, Ephron wants to give him the cave of Machpelah. And he says, I'll give it to you for free or give whatever you like. And Avram persists and says, I want to pay for it full price. And after Avram says he wants to pay for it, he says, okay, you want to pay? 400 silver talents, 400 silver coins. And these coins weren't just regular coins, they're of the highest value. So after offering the field for free to Avram Avinu, he turns around and charges him full price for the property. Very interesting. Now, the first question I want to ask today is that we see right away in the beginning of the pesukim. It says when Avram approaches the the elders of the land of Chiti. It says, nasi ato besoycheinu kavreinu kvares <laughs> ish mimenu kivroi mimcha mikvar Hear us, my Lord. This is, they're speaking to Avram. You are a prince of God in our midst. In the choicest of our burial places, bury your dead. Any of us will not withstand his burial place from you from burying your dead. So they're in essence telling Avram, you're you're such an honorable person, you're such a special person, take any burial place you would like anywhere. Nobody amongst our people will hold you back from picking any Place to bury your dead, and what does Avram respond to the elders? He tells them, "No, I want to speak to the person in charge who owns a specific piece of property. I want to speak to Ephron Achiti, and I want to buy his cave of Machpelah." So the question the Chavetz Chaim asks is: Once the elders of the of the town of this area gave full permission for Avram. To take whatever he wanted, to pick any piece of land that he wanted to take to bury his wife Sarah. Why did he continue the conversation and say, "No, I want to speak to Ephron who has the cave of Machpelah." He could have just picked any area. They said it's okay. You can imagine if, like the the Congress, tells Avram, "Do whatever you like. It's it's okay. You're such an honorable special person, and therefore you have full permission to do whatever you like." Why does Avram Avinu persist till he? speaks to Ephron, and then even when he speaks to Ephron, he he insists on paying full price for it. So the Chavetz Chaim tells us, he says that the reason why Avram Avinu asked to speak to someone specifically is because if he would have picked any piece of land for somebody, the person that he would pick it from would say, no, 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 when we said we're giving you land, it wasn't from me, it was from the other guy, it was from someone else, and Everyone could theoretically keep telling that to Avramavinu, wherever he would go to bury Sarah, that it was, you know, when we offered you the burial plot, we offered you somewhere else. Because the whole concept, it wasn't, it was just a, a general giving. It said, we're going to give you anything you want. And that, in essence, meant nothing. Until Avramavinu persisted and said, no, I'm not going to have vague um, references where you're just going to make a, an offer that I could have anybody's land. And and then when it comes to practicality of actually burying Sarah, I'm going to get chased away. Then I want to speak to someone who owns a specific piece of land. And that's why he was sent to Ephron, who owned the cave of Machpelah. Now, what's the lesson here? There's a very important lesson that we can learn out from this when it comes to dealing with other people. My father, he should be gebenched he always says that when you invite someone to come anytime to your house, it really means don't ever come to my house. When you make an offer to somebody, whatever you need help with, I'll help you with, you're in essence saying, don't ever ask me for your help. And this is what we can learn out from Avraham Avinu. When the elders of, of Chiti, they came and they offered their whole country or all the burial spots in, in their country to Avramavinu, they were just being nice. They were really offering nothing to him. And Avramavinu knew that. And this is something we can learn now when it comes to the psych of, a, of human beings, that when we make an offer to help somebody, when we want to put our ha- hand out, we should try to be specific. Try to be you know exact. Don't make broad offers which really don't mean anything Try to be more precise. You want to help someone with something? Make a specific offer. Is there anything specific I can help you with? Right? Do you need help with your groceries? Do you need a ride somewhere? Do you need me to pick up your kid from school? These are all concrete examples of how a help, it's real help. It could be translated into something. It's something you're offering because you won't say it unless you really mean it. And the same could be said about inviting over somebody for a Shabbos meal. You know, I, I know we, we try to be nice and say, come anytime. But it's sometimes more beneficial if we're more specific. Do you want to come over next Shabbos? Do you, want to, uh, do you want to come for a meal in two weeks from now? Whatever it is, the point is is that when we speak in these general terms, before it comes into practicality, before it's real, it really means nothing. And it's something that we we can learn from Avram Avinu how he dealt with the people of Chiti that even though they had such a broad offering, he perceived that they really were not talking in practical terms. It was had nothing had come to fruition yet, and therefore they offered everything, but really they offered nothing, and that's why he wanted to speak to someone specifically. Now, if you continue in the story between Avram Avinu and Ephron, there's another interesting. Idea that we can take out for ourselves and how to deal with people. Now, as Avram Avinu is persisting to pay for the Maros Hamachpelah, the Cave of Machpelah, Ephron finally relents and says, "Okay, four hundred silver shekels. What is it between me and you? How much is that already?" And actually, the Torah, when it says Ephron's name after he first offers it. For free, and then after he says four hundred shekels, the Torah takes away the Vav in the word in his name, Ephron, because he talked a lot and did nothing. He was a big talker, and then when it came to action, he didn't come through. Now, if you look in the Pusuk, the Pusuk says "Va'yishma Avram El Efron Avram asher b'nei ches <laughs> Arba mei Shekel Kesef Avram heard Ephron and Avram weighed out to Ephron the, the price to which he had mentioned in the hearing of the children of Heth, 400 silver shekels in negotiable currency. The Rashbam notes on this pasuk that when Avram heard, he didn't just hear. And he says, a hint is sufficient to the wise man. And there's a very important concept I think that we can learn out from this story of Avram and Ephron, how we dealt with them, because there's such a concept when people hear things, and then there's people when they hear it. In Yiddish, it's referred to as a heron and a deheron, like when you're hearing something, and then when you really hear something. to put it in perspective a little bit, and joking, jokingly, I hope, is that sometimes when men are listening to their wife, they're listening, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then afterwards, the husband goes to the wife and say, what, what'd you say? Right, he was listening to every word his wife was saying, but he wasn't really listening. And what we learned out from Avramavinu is that people need to gain a skill of knowing how to hear. What does that mean, knowing how to hear? It means, number one, is listening to people. Actually, putting your mind to something to listen to someone when they talk. But it's even more than that. It's knowing how to discern what people are saying, what truly people are saying. Because sometimes people could be saying words which mean one thing in plain English, but what they're really saying is a totally different message. And that's what it means, Vayishma Avram, that Avram heard. He heard through Ephron's words the whole time and the Bnei Ches, the, the elders of Ches. He heard right through them. He was able to recognize that they really wanted money for the field. They didn't want to give it to, for free to him. And he knew that the whole time because he heard them. He was able to discern from their words what they really meant. And this is a very important skill to have. Because many times, people say one thing, but they mean something else. And there's different reasons why they could be so. Sometimes people have trouble communicating. Sometimes people are uncomfortable. And I'll add one more point to this. That many times when people get into an argument, most times, it's not because people actually have, are arguing with each other. They have differences of opinion. Sometimes that is so, but most times... The reason why people get into an argument and have fights is because of miscommunication. People say one thing, it's understood as something else, boom, you have a fight. Right? If people would know how to understand each other, that even though he said something not nice to me, he really didn't mean that. He's trying to say something else to me, right? And and you see this with people all the time. Maybe a person uh, says something bad about themselves. They, they knock their, their own work, their own projects. Maybe they're saying that they want to compliment, that someone should say something good about them. And this is a learned skill. Some people are better at it than others, but it's something I think we all need to learn how to do. Now, it doesn't take away from the fact that we need to learn how to communicate as well, but at the same time for ourselves, it's knowing how to hear, knowing how to listen, knowing how to truly discern the words of people, what people really, really mean. And this is another beautiful thought we see and we learn from Avraham Avinu. A second idea I wanted to share with you today, which I heard from Rav Melech goes takes us to the story of Eliezer finding the wife of Yitzchak, Rivka. Now, when Eliezer sets out to find a wife for Yitzchak. He knows that he can't take a woman from the land of Canaan. And Avram Avinu instructs him to go to Aram Narayim, where his family is from, to find the right girl for Yitzchak. Now, as Eliezer is going, he makes, he prays to Hashem, he davens to Hashem, please help me find a wife for the son of my master, Avram Avinu, Abraham. And he makes, a sign. He says, the girl that comes over to me and offers not just to give me water, but also to give my camels water is, will be, is the sign that I shall make that I'll know that she's the right girl for Yitzchak. And Eliezer sets out and everything happens exactly as he asks for. He comes to the well, Rivka Approaches him and and offers to not just give him water to give his camels water. The commentary tells us that miracles happened to Eliezer. He he got to Aram Naraim much quicker. He had kfitzah haderech, which means is that the land sort of shrunk under him. It took him much faster to get there than it would normally would have taken. And when he comes to the family of Rivka to ask them to take her back with him to to Yitzchak to marry marry him. Another miracle happens. Besuel, her father, tries to poison Eliezer. And and an angel comes and strikes him dead. And miracle after miracle after miracle happens. But if you contrast this with another case of someone trying to get married in the Torah, which is Yaakov Avinu, Jacob, we see the total opposite. Yaakov is running away from his father's house after he steals the blessings from Esau and we'll get to that in a few weeks, God willing. But everything seems to be going wrong for him. He runs away with a lot of money and he's robbed on the way of all his possessions. He comes to Lavan's house for a wife to marry Rachel and he says, no, you can't have her. You have to work for seven years. And then after he works for seven years, Lavan pulls a trick on him and switches Leah for Rachel, and problem after problem. What's the difference? Why did everything seemingly go right for Eliezer, but for Yaakov Avinu, for for Jacob, who was the you know they say Tiferes, he 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 represented the the highest level of all the 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 our patriarchs. Everything seems to go wrong. So if you look in the in Rashi, Rashi brings down a very interesting medrash. Rashi says. From Bracious Rabba, that we know, the Torah repeats the story of Eliezer. It spends a lot of time on Eliezer, him making a condition with Hashem, him making, uh, him asking Hashem to give him a sign that he should know that Rivka is the right girl. And then, when Eliezer gets to the family of Rivka, he repeats the whole story again. We know that the Torah doesn't say anything extra. We learn out you know, from an extra letter, many halachos. But yet the Torah here spends a few columns dealing with the conversation of Eliezer, the servant of Aramavinu and seems to be repetitive. And Rashi brings down this medrash, which tells us as follows, It's beautiful is the conversation of the slaves of our forefathers more than the Torah of, of, the, of their children. And you think about this for a minute, what does that mean exactly? Yaakov was a great person. The, the conversation of, a, of a Eliezer, the slave of Avram, is worth more than the Torah of the children of the, the patriarchs? And the answer to that is, is this idea that how did Eliezer approach his mission? Eliezer approached his mission saying, Hashem, help me, I'm lost. I'm trying to do your will. I'm trying to do your eshtadlis. I'm trying to do my due diligence of what's required of me. But I recognize that I'm not in control, that I don't have the power to complete this by myself. I'm totally in your hands. And that's why when you have an attitude like that, miracles happen. The land, he had kfiziz Aderech, the, the, the path got shorter for him. The sign he asked for happened exactly. An angel came and struck Besuel, preventing him from killing Eliezer. Everything, ha- everything happened exactly as he asked for. Miracles happened. But by Yaakov Avinu, we know that it says in the Parsha later on, a few weeks from now, when Yaakov is running away, that Lavan had two daughters. And the Torah tells us that the eyes of Leah were raqus, they were tender, while Rachel was of beautiful form and beautiful appearance. And Rashi tells us over there that the reason why Leah's eyes were tender is that because people would say the older daughter of Lavan is going to go to Esav to marry and the younger daughter of Lavan, Rachel, will go to Yaakov to marry. And Rachel and Leah cried because she didn't want that to be her destiny. That's what people were saying. But the point was is that people, there was this known idea out there that Yaakov Avinu, that Jacob is going to marry Rachel. And when Yaakov Avinu, you know, obviously we don't understand the ways of Hashem, but when Jacob, when Yaakov left his parents' house to go get married, he didn't go out to look for a shidduch. He went with a plan to get married to Rachel. And when a person goes to the plan, I'm going to go do this, Hashem says, you, you think you're going to do that? You think you're in charge? I'm going to show you who's in charge. And that's why everything seemingly went out of whack. Everything didn't go the way as planned. Obviously, we don't understand the ways of Hashem. But we see this important message here that when we come to Hashem as, as sort of a servant, as someone who wants to do the right thing, and we, we come with our, our hands open and we say, Hashem, I'm trying to do what's right. I don't know what the right thing to do is. I'm lost. I'm just trying. I'm trying to follow what you told me what to do. I'm trying. Please help me. When we have that attitude, so then anything is possible. Miracles happen. And that's what it means, Yafas have the That when we come to Hashem with a prayer, with a with a I guess a broken heart, with a with 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 asking, that we we totally dependent on Hashem, so then anything is possible. And this is something I think we could take out for our own lives in different ways, because ultimately we try different things. We're trying, you know, many of us are looking for a shidduch. We're looking to get married. Some of us are looking for a job. Some of us are looking for a house. I don't know. Everyone has their own thing. We're looking for a salvation in different areas. We, we want some, want to get better. I don't know. Everyone could plug in the, the different information. But the point is is that how do we come to Hashem? Are we coming to Him with a plan that this is what we're going to do to get things done? Or are we coming to Him with a, with a... We're asking Him to help us. We're saying we're doing our part. We're doing our eshtadlis. But without you, Hashem, we're totally lost. So that's going to finish for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to reach out, please feel free to send me an email at rabbishlomokon, K-O-H-N, at gmail.com. Have a great day.